0: a reading entitled Wounded Healers Coming Home, an adapted reading from the book Coming Home by Dr. Welton Gaddy. Coming home is an absolutely wonderful experience, an experience unequaled by any other. What joy erupts when a person arrives at home after having been away for so long that she had begun to wonder if she would ever get back home. How incredibly good it is to find a home if you never really had a home, but always desperately wanted one. When people who have been so disappointed by empty promises about home pervaded by boastful imposters of families that they finally decide home is no more than an idyllic wish, find the real thing, words cannot capture the sensation of peace and happiness that they experience. To come home is to discover our true family, matriarchs and patriarchs whose passionate love focuses on our best interests, brothers and sisters in the spirit. Our kin are our friends and vice versa. At home, we are surrounded by colleagues in mercy, joint heirs of promise and fellow pilgrims. The story, This story is about coming home. This is a story about people finding a fellowship that is more like home than any ever dared to think was possible. More than that, it is a story about people who are home. Hurt was a constant companion to members of Northminster Church throughout the early days of their pilgrimage. The religion inflicted wounds, spiritual bruises, and emotional pains that marked the people who first met together before anyone dared to express the hope of forming a new church, did not immediately disappear once a commitment to ministry through the establishment of Northminster Church was made. In fact, new problems emerged and additional hurts demanded attention. The individuals for whom the new venture was most difficult were those leaving family members in other congregations. One woman described her parents' difficulties with her family's involvement in Northminster. We were the black sheep of the family. Knowing full well the dynamics of rejections, hurt, and displacement, Northminster Church became a fellowship especially sensitive and open to people who had been rejected, hurt, and displaced elsewhere. Joyce Lofton mused, I don't believe in excluding anyone. If God didn't exclude me, why shouldn't I welcome everybody? As so often happens under the leadership of God, a congregation of people who knew the depths of hurt became a congregation of healers ready to extend its ministry to all who hurt. A person discovers real community where people are joined together in a covenant that causes reconciliation, wholeness, caring, and justice to take place. Under God's leadership, in the name of Jesus Christ, that is the kind of church we are committed to being in our world. This is a story of our people. Thanks be to God. First, let me again express my appreciation to Dr. Gaddy for writing this book about Northminster's early history. I literally weep for joy every time I reread it. This is truly a story of resurrection. In the church from which most of us escaped to form Northminster, We may not have necessarily known it at the time, but we were dead in so many ways. And as we shook off those old grave clothes, a new, bold, exciting thing emerged. But first, in our very early days, we needed to heal ourselves from the hurts we had suffered. I think that came about by our listening to one another and by truly loving and accepting one another. It also came about because we were all equal. And we treated each other that way from the beginning. Everybody had a voice and a vote. One vote that was never taken was whether women should participate equally with men in all leadership positions in the church. That was not the tradition from which we came. But there was never even a question about it. It was simply understood. Of course, there are no barriers with God. And to this day, there have never been any other barriers to full inclusion of all people in all aspects of Northminster's life and ministry. Everyone is welcome and affirmed. As I look back on the first 30 years of Northminster's life, I am filled with so much gratitude. I'm grateful for that little bunch of hurting renegades who were bold enough to do something new. I'm grateful for all who have joined us along the way to maintain this place of love and acceptance. And I'm grateful for each of you as we join together to walk into our future to see what new horizons God has in store for us.
1: reading from coming home, the covenant. Several people in the new church pushed for a formal adoption of a covenant, a church covenant that would serve as a core statement of the congregation's identity and commitments. Only one serious reservation about a covenant surfaced, keep it simple. No opposition to the adoption of a covenant appeared. Knowing that various members of the congregation had been appreciatively involved in the Alliance of Baptists since its inception, Priscilla Asbury suggested that the church consider adopting a form of the covenant embraced by that national organization. Members of Northminster's Coordinating Committee concurred and offered Priscilla's suggestion as a recommendation, which other members of the church enthusiastically accepted in a business meeting. On Palm Sunday, March 19, 1989, in the great room of D.H. and Hannah Clark's house, a room strewn with greenery and filled with a spirit of festivity, the congregation of Northminster Church looked back to the Christ behind them, repeating the ancient shout, Hosanna to the Son of David, and looked ahead to the Christ going before them. 88 members signed the church's charter and recited the church covenant. All three acts of devotion to Christ thrust to this new expression of the body of Christ further into its experience of crucifixion and resurrection. This is a story of our people. Thanks be to God. The words of Northminster's Covenant solidified our new journey. This wasn't a new chapter, but a new book with a new title. Who cannot look back and say, wow, we did that? (laughs) Yeah, we did, nearly 30 years ago. Our covenant speaks of commitment to understanding our freedoms, appreciating education, and proclaiming equality, all the while we are loving God, each other, and ourselves. Thanks be to God that the journey continues, Many of us with a few more wrinkles and a bit more gray hair, but we have story after story to tell. With God's help, may we continue to pave a way, to create a place, and to sing new songs. Maybe we know someone who could write the second book in the Northminster series entitled, Being At Home, The First 30 Years. Now, fellow travelers, Please join me as we recommit ourselves to the reading of our covenant.
2: The grace of God is making of us a fellowship to embody and express the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we covenant together to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other as we love ourselves. We further commit to
1: the freedom of the individual.
2: And by God's spirit, within the family of faith, to read and interpret the scriptures, relying on the historical understanding of the church, and the best methods of modern biblical study.
1: The freedom of the local church.
2: for ministry, male or female,
1: the larger body of Jesus Christ,
2: expressed in various Christian traditions and to cooperation with believers everywhere in giving full expression to the gospel,
1: the servant role of leadership within the church,
2: following the model of our servant Lord and to full partnership of all God's people in mission and ministry.
1: Theological education in congregations, colleges, and seminaries.
2: Characterized by reverence for biblical authority and respect for open inquiry and responsible scholarship.
1: The proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Gospels.
2: And the call of God to all people to repentance and faith, reconciliation and hope, social and economic justice.
1: The principle of a free church in a free state,
2: and to, to any effort by either church or state to use the other for its own purposes. We now, the people of this church and congregation, compass
1: about with a great cloud of witnesses, remembering the sacrifices
2: of those who have gone before us, upon whose foundation we are building dedicate ourselves anew to the teaching of the word of God,
3: in both precept and example.
1: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name.
3: Amen.
2: Final reading from Coming Home. Eventually, a moment arrives when people who have come home face the challenge of settling in and living at home. A different set of emotions surface at this point. The original determination to get home that sustained the long journey to the eagerly sought destination and the initial rush of excitement that accompanied an arrival at home recede. Anxiety and resolution develop in reaction to questions about how to live at home. Occasionally, we feel the chill of darkness from which we came. From time to time, bitterness and cynicism, bred by old betrayals and disappointments, push their way into our corporate consciousness. Periodically, we even needle each other as a result of the distrust we learned in the past. Now and then we have to resist, vigorously, a temptation to practice the kind of exclusiveness in our fellowship and narrowness in our vision that we have disliked in other structures. And at times we fail. Letting go of previous hurts can be surprisingly difficult. Challenges loom large on the horizon towards which we are moving. What will we do about additional buildings? How much of our family's finances should we give to mission projects outside of our fellowship? And how much should we devote to our own church's involvement when our church itself is a mission? What kind of alliances do we want to form in order to increase the breadth of our relationships and the outreach of our ministry? As Baptists, how can we distinguish ourselves from others who claim the same name, but reject historic Baptist principles and behave as another kind of people? How can we preserve the distinct identity of our home while welcoming a wide variety of new family members into it? No one at Northminster holds any illusions about institutional perfection. God knows and we know all too well our weaknesses but we are serious about trying to be God's people. During the installation service for Northminster's first pastor, first senior pastor, Don Nixon spoke words that exquisitely capture Northminster's concept of self-identity as well as its commitment to ministry. He said, Welton, before you become part of this colorful collection, there are some things you need to know. None of us here are real pretty sights, not as clean as we need to be. We have smudges and blemishes that religious people would run from, but we recognize those inadequacies and are daily striving to be different. So don't come along if you are expecting a pageant of total beauty. None of us are totally grown but we are moving through that process and are open to all stages that must occur for that goal of fulfillment to be obtained. So don't come along if you're looking only for a band of adult merrymakers. We don't have a lot to offer in way of possessions, religious acceptance, vast numbers of people, prestige, or financial comfort. What is here has come from the blending of the talents, the commitment, to the search for truth and the willingness to offer our lives to God no matter the cost. And if, deep within your soul, you have a longing for a small group of dirty and struggling spirits to walk beside you, to share the load that you must carry, to lovingly divide with you their rations and grains. And to allow you the freedom of beginning on a new journey. Then friend, welcome home. Because we've been looking for you. This is a story of our people. Thanks be to God. Now would you join me in closing with a prayer for our future. Beloved, eternal love seen in the eyes of Christ, we pause in gratitude for our journey. We pause in gratitude for the call your people sensed to create this place, that call that gathered us here together. We pause in gratitude for all of it, for the healing, for the open arms. For the safe refuge born from such a blend of hurt and creativity and faith. We pause in gratitude for what we have co-created alongside you and we pause in gratitude for that story retold today. Beloved, eternal love seen in the eyes of one another We pause in hope for the next 30 years of journeying together. We pause in hope that our ears remain tuned to your call, moving us ever forward, ever more open to your spirit. We pause in hope for continued healing and wider embraces. We pause in hope that we may continue to co-create alongside you that this place not be a projection of ourselves or what we want for this world, but a manifestation of your presence here. We pause in hope for the story that a future generation will tell of us now. We offer this gratitude and this hope together as one people, one community, one family, and one body. Amen.
4: now this reading from the Gospel of Luke. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks,
3: Thanks be to God.
4: A teenage kid with a book bag on his back and a cast on his arm that no one has signed shuffles into school on the first day of junior year, eyes on the ground. Evan Hansen, a teenager who deals with severe social anxiety, has always struggled to make friends and feels as if he's destined to live his life on the outside, always looking in at everyone else, waving through a window. Evan is the title character of the Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen that swept the Tonys in 2017. And I imagine his plight is one that many of us here can relate to, even if social anxiety is not our particular battle. Despite his feeling that he'll never really be a part of things, through the course of the play, Evan winds up inadvertently creating community among the students at his school, around their shared grief over a classmate who has died. He gives a speech that is then posted online and goes viral, allowing for thousands of others to draw inspiration from it because the message is one that addresses such a universal need. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Evan asks. If you have, and most of us have, know that you're not alone. Lift your head and look around. You will be found, Evan sings. Thirty years ago, there was a group of people in Monroe, Louisiana, discovering that they too needed a place to feel that they belonged. They were not so much sheep without a shepherd as sheep with a hard-won skepticism of all shepherds gathering in one another's homes with no senior pastor among them by choice, singing songs, serving communion to one another, studying the scriptures together, and ministering to one another's needs. Much like Evan Hansen, they found that they were bonded as a community around shared grief, the grief of feeling that they no longer had a home in the place they had once called home. They journeyed together out of that grief and into the shared purpose of creating a different kind of faith community. Like the woman with the lost coin or the shepherd with the lost sheep, they rejoiced each time one who had felt lost everywhere else found a home in their midst. They became, in many ways, an open pasture a refuge and safe haven where gathered the sheep who, for any number of reasons, were not welcome in any other fold. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet reflects, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does God require of you but to do justice? and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. The community that was formed here at Northminster was just that, a community first and foremost, a worshipping community grounded in a loving theology that prioritized this scriptural call to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. This verse became such an important part of Northminster's identity that it made its way onto the logo, the church sign, and even at the risk of giving away a big secret, the Wi Fi password. <laughs> this threefold scriptural call to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly serves as a guide for our communal self identity. So I want us to spend some time exploring those three aspects of our collective calling. Do justice. When we do justice, we are pursuing God's dream for this world. One of my favorite children's books to read to our boys is a book called God's Dream, written by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Dear child of God, do you know what God dreams about? He writes. If you close your eyes and look with your heart, I am sure, dear child, that you will find out. The prophets try to give us glimpses of God's dreams. The lion lying down with the lamb, a world with no more tears, the breaches of injustice repaired, widows and orphans given the care and dignity they deserve. In his parables, Jesus paints us a picture of the kind of world, Jesus, the world that God dreams of. A world where those who are first stop caring so much about being first and try out being last for a change. A world where lifelong enemies are able to see one another's humanity and care for one another in distress. These concepts are really not all that radical. Knowing what's just isn't as difficult as we often want to make it. It's doing it that presents the problem. And doing justice is an individual responsibility, although we sure can accomplish a lot more when we do it together. Do justice. Love mercy. When we love mercy, we learn to see the world through God's eyes through the eyes of compassion, to use the lens that Jesus used when he looked out on this world. There is much that is broken in our world, much that is in need of loving mercy. But if we're going to learn to love like Jesus loved, we have to recognize that Jesus didn't only name brokenness. Jesus looked into the face of those who were broken and called them beloved naming, to what was good and right and whole in them and calling that forward. He called into leadership those who, it was said, had no business in leadership. He carried those who needed carrying and he empowered others to do the same. Loving mercy means that when we encounter those who are, as Evan Hansen says, broken on the ground, in need of a friend to carry them through, we do it. And in doing it, we empower them to go and love mercy for another. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. When we walk humbly with God, we will admit that as good as all of this sounds, Sometimes we fail. Walking humbly is perhaps the most difficult of these three tenets that guide our community. And I don't just mean because humility is hard. Most of us are here because for one reason or another, there was no other church we could go to where we felt like we could belong, like we could bring all of ourselves to the table and still be accepted. And that is a beautiful and a holy part of the ministry of Northminster. But because that is a part of our identity, I fear that we are particularly susceptible to the sin of pride. It's a short step from thank God that I've found this community to thank God that we aren't like all of them. And the key, I believe, to staying humble is to remain always in a posture of listening, of learning. There will be times and have been already when we won't live up to our calling. Times when we won't carry you or even know that you needed carrying. Times we will fail to listen when you speak as much as we intended to listen. Times we will fail to show up. We are, each of us, on the mend from our own brokenness, and that doesn't change when we all show up here together. This is why we practice corporate confession. It's why we must stay grounded in humility, listening to one another always, and learning each day how to love one another better tomorrow. Do justice. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. This is what defines our community of faith. This community is where we learn what it is to listen and to be heard, and then to speak up for those who never are. It's where we learn what it is to carry and to be carried, to find grace and to extend it to others. In this community of faith, we have all been both the lost coin and the searching woman, both the wandering sheep and the shepherd guide, the ones who have been found, and the ones who continue to hold open the gate for all those who are still searching for home. May we ever and always keep that gate flung open wide, proclaiming to the world the truth that has given us life. Here you will be heard. Here you will be loved. And here you will be found. Amen.